Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. And I am preaching on the mercy of God. My message is called the mercy seat. Somebody say mercy. I need the Holy Spirit's help today because I'm so excited about this message. I don't want to mess this message up. Last week was the second most important message I've ever preached on authority, and this is the first one because this is powerful. It is the mercy of God. So I'm going to pray and believe that God is going to bless this time together. Father, we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I need your help. Uh, Use this imperfect preacher to preach your perfect word. I know you love me, and I know you love them, and so use me, God. Uh, Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. There isn't enough talk about mercy because we don't give mercy and we don't expect mercy and no one gives mercy to us. I don't know if you know this, but there's plenty other religions that you can choose outside of Christianity. And and, uh, there's Buddhism and there's Hinduism and there's, you know, obviously uh, Islam and all these other religions out there. And then there's the spiritual religion of L.A., which is mysticism and universe and and manifesting, but that there's not a single religion, I don't know if you know this, there's not a single religion in the whole world, and this is no dishonor to those who participate in those other religions, I'm just giving you a fact, I'm not trying to say, oh, this is better or this, I'm just giving you facts and you can decide for yourself, but Christianity is the only religion in all of humanity and all of the world and all of human history that would proclaim that God is a God of mercy. There is no other religion that says that God will give you Mercy. We're going to unpack that word in such a powerful way. Matter of fact, Hinduism and Buddhism would say that God is a God of karma. Uh, we all say, you know, we love to say that when somebody gets, that's karma right there. That person that, that did something bad, now bad is coming back to him. But God is not a God of karma. He doesn't just give you something bad because you did something bad. He doesn't give you something good because you did something good. Our God is not a God of karma. Matter of fact, there's somebody in here that made all the mistakes in the world, and God is blessing you, and God is taking care of you, and God's looking after your children because he's not a God of karma. He's a God of mercy, and he's a God of grace. Every other religion, you better get it right or God's not going to give you something good. And if you do something bad, God's going to give you something bad. If you do something good, God is going to give you something good. But I don't stand up here today because I've done something good. I stand up here today as an example of God's infinite and wonderful mercy. If it wasn't for the mercy and grace of God, I would not be up here today. Mercy is the most powerful force in all of the world. It is the most spiritual thing we could possibly experience, and no one wants to give it to us. Anybody go to college, you never did not do your homework, and the college professor says, here you go, here's a master's degree, because I'm merciful. You, ever, you never are late to work, you're an hourly employee, and you make $17 an hour, and they say, you know what, I'm going to pay you $25 an hour, because here at this company, we are merciful. No, no, no one gives us mercy. We spend our entire lives earning. Entire lives earning. Everybody has been through a breakup. Everybody's been through a divorce. We've all been through it where someone decides that they don't like something we do, so they're leaving. That's what we experience. And so it's hard to believe that in this Christian faith that God would never leave us or forsake us because he's a God of mercy. 
Now, I cannot tell you that God would not leave you because, because without telling you that there was a moment where Jesus was on the cross and felt he had been left by God. The Bible says God will never leave you, never forsake you. But when Jesus was on the cross dying for our sins, he said to his father, why have you forsaken me? Because God had forsaken him. God had given him all the sin, all the mistakes, made him be punished for it so that he could give us mercy. So God would never forsake you because he forsook Jesus on the cross. And now you can engage God because of mercy. We don't know how to give mercy. We don't know how to, we don't know how to give mercy. You know the Bible says that heaven rejoices when a lost person is found? Found. I mean, God says they're with me. We're in relationship. Look at them in church. Church people rejoice when a lost person is fixed. Okay, let me just close this and get on out of here. Y'all wouldn't. Come on, church people. We love it when they're fixed. We show the testimony videos on the LED wall in church, and that person's clean off drugs for five years. Thank you, Jesus. The testimony video in heaven, they're still on crack. I'm on a journey, though. I'm on a journey. They show it on the video because heaven is clapping because they're found. Can I just tell you I want to be a church that's not late to the party? Can we clap when someone's found, not just when they're fixed? Because guess what? We'll never be fixed. We need to understand the mercy of God. We need to understand the mercy of God. In the Bible, there's this beautiful verse in Exodus 25, verse 17 through 22. And this is the second time in the Bible where the word mercy is mentioned. It's mentioned in Genesis where a man's praying for his sons and they're getting ready to go see their enemies. And he goes, I pray that your enemies would give you mercy. That's the first time where it's mentioned. The second time where it's mentioned is actually the verse where we are reading from now. And what I'm doing is when I unpack the word mercy, there's this beautiful thing in, in Bible college learned called the law of first mention. It helps you understand mercy better when you, you can just go on Bible Gateway, and if you're reading a verse in, let's say, the end of the Bible that says mercy, just put mercy in the search bar of the Bible, and make sure you check the first three or four verses where it's mentioned, because you want to find a pattern for, for the mention of mercy. And we don't use mercy in the right context in our culture. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Come on, fellas. That ain't the right context. You heard people use, I heard people look at a woman going, Lord, have mercy. No, nah, that ain't the right context. It's not, that's not what it meant. <laughs> that's the first time I heard the word mercy was from Unc. Lord, have mercy. And found out later he was not using the right context. Well, this helps us gain context because what God is doing is he asked us, he's asking them to build a tabernacle, a temporary place where God's presence will dwell, a temporary place. And they're building this tabernacle in the wilderness, the place of the in-between. And many of us are in the in-between right now, something we're hoping for and, and, and a place we've been. And one of the things that I believe Christianity, if I had to choose Christian, uh, any religion, I would choose Christianity. I believe Christ chose us. But the reason why I would choose Christianity is, is, is this is a beautiful religion for the in-between because God's presence dwells on the in-between. In every other religion, God is waiting for you when you get there. But God's presence, he taught them to be in his presence on the in-between, in the middle of their circumstances. While they were free from slavery in Egypt, in Egypt, they were not yet in the promised land. And God said, you're out of this, but you're not into that. Let's meet. Let's have a meeting. And so the tabernacle was to teach them to have a meeting with God. Many of us don't understand that we can meet with God. And when we meet with God, we don't know how to take a meeting. There's protocol to meeting with God. 
And so the tabernacle in Exodus 25 broke down the protocol to meet with God. And do you know the very first protocol to meet with God? It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. There's protocol to meet with God. So back then, the protocol was you had to be grateful. Anybody grateful? Anybody grateful for something? So it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise is a celebratory exaltation verbally of the God we're trying to meet with. So anybody, if you got a meeting today, we're, we all have careers in here. We all have something we're trying to do. Anybody in the film business and you had a meeting with Steven Spielberg, you would not go, oh, just going to this meeting, Amblin Entertainment. He's going to look at my script. We'll see what happens. Meeting with Steven. Who you meet with today? Oh, LeBron James or... He wants me to be his personal trainer, and so I'm going to. But we come to church. I'm just going to go meet with God. I hope there's not going to be traffic, and I hope there's parking. You would look for parking with Steven Spielberg for three hours if he would look at your funky little script that ain't even that good. But when you go meet with God, you're like, oh, who knows? This is the crowded service. Why can't we come to 9 a.m.? I tell the truth. People out here paying $100,000 for Super Bowl tickets to watch Taylor Swift's boyfriend win the Super Bowl. What's his name, Travis Kelsey? They flashed at Taylor Swift so many times. You know, listen, she held down the NFL. They made so much money. But we watched the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, but, but we, don't, we don't meet with God. We don't understand the protocol. And the very first protocol to meet with God is thanksgiving and praise. You got to be excited to meet with them. Who are you would be excited to meet with? Think of that person, and now just take that excitement and be excited to meet with God. That's the protocol, that you're excited to, to you're thankful, and you're excited to meet with God. So you, you, you express that excitement. You'd be texting all your friends, we're going to the house of the Lord. We get to meet with God. Praise the Lord. So when the church says praise, we praise them because that's what we bring in. It's a protocol. But then they would walk into the courtyard, and deeper in the courtyard, there would be this massive, like, fire pit where they would now, each family would be carrying a small perfect animal without blemish usually the animal would be one year old and they would not have any blemish on the animal at all because this animal would represent the thing that they have to sacrifice to be forgiven of their sin because without sacrifice and the shedding of blood the bible says there can be no forgiveness so they'd bring this family animal into the priest and the priest would inspect the animal not the person the animal see christians love to inspect each other not the sacrifice. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So when you inspect and get to know Jesus, you're not inspecting people, you're inspecting Jesus, and they would literally stare at the animal. They would rub their fingers through the animal's fur, looking for blemishes or imperfections. They would turn it around, looking for brown spots. And when they found the animal to be perfect, perfect and without flaws, they would have the person who brought the animal lay hands on the animal. And that symbolized that the perfect righteousness and perfection of the animal is going into the person and the family. And all the sins and the mistakes of that person would go into the animal. And then the priest would execute the animal. When Jesus died on the cross, that was that moment being played out forever in all of eternity. Where all the sins that, and all the mistakes that we've ever made went into Jesus. And all of his perfection and righteousness came to us. And now God executed Jesus and gave you mercy. 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 Who is better, a judge who says you're free to go and you did the crime, or someone who watches you become convicted, sentenced to death, and says, I'll get an electric chair for you? That's what Jesus did. 
And so they're watching this animal that did nothing wrong die for the things that they did wrong, giving us a picture of what Christ did. And then the priest would take just a bowl of this blood, and he would walk through the curtain to the front door of the tabernacle. Now, he was the only one allowed back there. But the Bible says that we are all priests. One of the biggest mistakes of the church today is you guys try to turn me into the priest and you into the people. But the Bible says together we are the royal priesthood. Together we go in the curtain and we meet with God. And now the protocol was lighting candles for prayer. The bread of the presence representing communion. And, the, and, and there were, all these things were happening in there. And here's what's crazy. The priest could only go in there one time in their life. One time, if they lived to be 70 years old, they went in there one time, and it was only a man, and it was only from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, no matter whether you're male or female, no matter what tribe you come from, black, white, brown, Mexican, Hispanic, you can go, Asian, you can go into the presence of God every day in a way that they could do once in their life because of mercy. And so then they would continue to do their things in the inner sanctuary, and then they would go behind the veil. And behind the veil, there was this little box called the Ark of the Covenant that represented the glory of the Lord. And we're going to read about that little box right here in Exodus 25. This represented the presence of God. You see the process? Thanksgiving, praise, sacrifice, prayer, uh, light, lighting candles that represented the word. All these things that people had to do just to get behind this curtain and meet with God and in Exodus 25, God gives instructions to the people on how to build this box called the Ark of the Covenant that contained all of the goodness, all of the glory of God. And God says this, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Of all the character traits of this loving God, they could have called it a hope seat. They could have called it a peace seat. They could have called it a righteousness seat. They could have called it a faith seat. But the seat where God rested and dwelled was called the mercy seat. And it says, two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half shall be its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim, uh, representing angels, of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece uh, with the mercy seat you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings. It was a beautiful statue above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. So these massive gold wings would protect the mercy seat. And it says their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. That testimony was the Ten Commandments. All the rules and all of the regulations that church people love to tell people about in the world were inside the box, and the only thing you could see was the mercy seat. If you opened it, you saw all the rules, don't do this, don't do that, thou shall not, thou shall this, thou shall that, all the things that, that, that religious people love to put on Instagram. But yes, all those things are true, but they were hidden in the Ark of the Covenant, in Christ, in his character, and what was visible was the mercy seat. And so the priest would now take this cup of blood from the perfectly righteous animal, and he would splash blood on the mercy seat, meaning that someone had died for their mistakes so that someone could live. What does that mean? 
When the blood hit the mercy seat, it means that all of the people were forgiven for all of the things that were written on those stone tablets inside the presence of God. And then this beautiful glory cloud would shoot out of the tent and the people would cheer because they would know God is pleased. Was God pleased with them? Yes. But why? Because of the sacrifice of the perfect animal that they had brought. Now, the glory, the goodness of God shoots out of the heavens for you and I because Jesus' blood has hit the mercy seat in heaven, and you don't have to bring the sacrifice. You just have to bring your thanksgiving and your praise. That's it. That's your only job. So he says this, this mercy seat is, is what happens there. And watch. It says, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you. Say, I will meet with you. I will speak with you. You know why God can meet with us? You know why God speaks to us? God speaks to us and meets with us because of mercy. We cannot earn this. You know how many times people give me a compliment about my leadership? Oh, you're amazing. No, God's mercy is amazing. If it wasn't for his mercy, I would not be here. God is a God of mercy, and I hate the fact that this is the most, one of the most misunderstood things in the church today is we don't understand God's grace, and we don't understand God's mercy. There was a story one time, I've told it before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's one of my favorite stories about a young woman that came to church, and she was scantily clad, chilling. Mini skirt, had just went to the club the night before and decided she wanted to connect with God. So she went to some small um, religious church. She sat right in the front row with her little skimpy outfit. And the pastor was preaching and he noticed her. And it was a small church, so he shook everybody's hands as she left, as they left. And he saw her. And as he shook her hand, he looked her in the eye and said, when you go home, you need to ask the Lord what you should wear to this church that's appropriate. She just put her head down and left. Next week, she came back to church in a similar outfit, fresh out the club once again, sat right in the front row. The pastor was furious. So he waited for her again outside of the church and said, young lady, I thought I told you to ask the Lord what's appropriate to wear to this church. And she said, I did ask the Lord. And he said, well, what did the Lord say? He said, the Lord said he's not sure what I should wear to this church. He's never been here. Woo! God is not in a church where there is no grace and there is no mercy. I thank God for the mercy of God. Do you know you have a pastor that is here because of mercy? You know my first time at Oasis, I didn't come in here preaching. I came in here high. I came into a connect group high, sativa, so I could stay awake. And if you laughed, there's deliverance after church because you know what I'm talking about. All you weed smokers in here, man, you shouldn't. That was a test. That was a test. Some of you are like, hey, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. I'm serious. It's true. So I come into the connect group, and this dude came up to me in the connect group and said, you smell like weed. And I said, I know. And he said, why would you come to the house of God smelling like weed? Don't you know your body is a temple? I had never been to church. If you're new to church, I pray you don't meet somebody like this. I pray, this is not the, I pray that person is not in our community. That was said, he said to me in my heart, sank. And I got mad. And I said, 
I know my body's a temple. That's why I only smoke the good stuff. This is a true story. In a connect room, I'm not making this up. And so I left, and I was mad at him. I didn't come back the next week because I was smoking. My connect group leader called me. Why are you not in connect group? I said, because some dude told me that's dishonoring to come to the house of the Lord smelling like weed, and that's what I do, so I guess I can't come. He said, that dude lied to you. There is grace and there is mercy. To I don't care what you smell like. You are actually called to Oasis, and the enemy was using that conversation to keep you out of the church. If you and spoke over my life. And within weeks, I wasn't smoking anymore because I encountered God's grace and mercy. So I cannot say you've encountered God's grace and mercy if you're still the same. Because nobody can stay the same when they encounter the amazing grace and mercy of God. I just thank God for his mercy. Where would I be? I wouldn't be married without his mercy. I wouldn't be a pastor without his mercy. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a father without his mercy. I just want to take some time today to thank God for his mercy. If I had karma, I would get bad karma because I've done so many bad things. But God blocked the karma and gave me mercy. Mercy. Mercy, mercy. Later, I would encounter the mercy of God through my wife. We got married, and prior to getting married, man, your boy was doing bad. Your boy was broke. Couldn't pay my bills. I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. I was like, I, you got the word pay in it, I can't do it. You got the word pay in it, I can't do it. They say you got HDH, whatever that, HDHD, I don't even know, HDTV, I don't know what y'all be diagnosing yourself with. You got HGTV? I said, no, 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 no. I got that ADHD, whatever it is. I said, I just, I can't pay attention. I can't. I can't. I'm distracted. I keep thinking about my account with the negative. The bills are pink. Struggling. You couldn't drive Uber back then. If you didn't have no job, you wouldn't do it. Some of y'all broke people out here driving Postmates. Wasn't no Postmates. Wasn't no app. You were just broke. And I got married, man. And then that tax bill came in the mail from not paying my taxes. And my wife opened the mail, saw my $5,000 plus dollar tax bill. She came in the house, she said, what is this? You know wives do that, they know what it is. But they say, they want you to tell them what it is. So I said, I was so scared. So I started just saying, the man's on my back. Cause you know my wife is white, so I went race with it. I said, MLK said this would happen. <laughs> Malcolm said they would come for me. Because she white, I, I was trying to throw something at her she couldn't respond to. I was like, this is why they set us free. You know, like just start saying stuff like that. <laughs> saying stuff like that. I tried to pull the race car. Man's on my back. And so she just walked away and I said, I'll take care of it. I didn't, that, that meant I didn't know what to do. Come on, man, when you say you'll take care of it, you lying? That means you don't know what to do. But we tell them kind of good lies, I don't want you to be worried. So we start lying. So I start checking the mailbox myself. And I would go in there and see them tax bills, and I would put them in the back seat of my car so my wife couldn't see them. I did this for months. She would say, hey, did you take care of the tax bill? I said, yeah, it's all good, I got it. Lying, for young people I was capping, whatever y'all can relate to, just trying to be related, relatable. And uh, one day, she moved my car because we had tandem parking. And that's how I remember it. She found a tax bill. She came in the house. She hit me with it again. What is this? And I said, babe, I've been lying to you. It's a tax bill. They've been, email They've been mailing them to me for months. And I'll never forget this. She said, I've known about this for nine months. 
I said, you did? And she said, yes. And I prayed about it. And the Lord showed me that you just didn't want to disappoint me, that you were embarrassed. And so when I prayed about it, he said, the only thing I'm allowed to say to you when you tell me is how can I help? And I said, MLK said this would happen. <laughs> no, but for real, I turned to her and she went into her savings that she had saved up before we got married and paid my entire tax bill. And I have never encountered this much mercy from a human ever. But I did not stay the same. So years later, I would never get another, I, I would never get another situation that I wouldn't pay because she changed me through mercy. She could have expected it of me, but instead she gave me mercy. And if you receive mercy, you never stay the same. It was a beautiful thing. The most merciful act I've ever received from a human being. It was mercy my mother didn't give me. It was mercy I couldn't get. We grew up where, where you, you had to do it. You had to get it right. But it was mercy. This is powerful because we need to understand what mercy means. And mercy means sympathy and compassion. In that moment, uh, uh, my wife had sympathy and compassion. She felt bad for me. She understood why. And she could have been so mad that I was lying, so mad that I was keeping from. But instead, she chose to understand where I was coming from. And this word mercy is so dynamic. It, I could talk about it for two years, and you still wouldn't understand it. It means so many things in the Bible. One of those things is sympathy and compassion. And another thing is to pardon. You're free to go. You're guilty, but there are no consequences. It's a pardon. Here's my other favorite definition, loyalty to covenant or loyalty to your promise. So, for example, so if I say to you, hey, I promise you I'm going to be there for you and I'm never going to leave, I don't keep that promise based off what you do. I don't go, oh, but you've been acting real crazy, so I changed my mind. I need some distance. No, once I promise that to you, it is within my character to fulfill that promise, and I don't need you to help me be me. God does not need you to help him be him. Every other religion, God needs you to help God be God. If you do something good, I'll do something good. But no, in Christianity, God does something good when you do something bad because the Bible says he cannot change. Although man is unfaithful, he will be faithful because he cannot deny who he is. So when we are giving grace, when we are giving mercy, when we are giving love to those who don't love us, when we are giving hope to those who make us feel hopeless, we are saying, I cannot deny who I am. I must extend this to you because God has extended to me. And now this is my identity to be merciful. This is my identity to be gracious. I cannot choose who I want to be and respond to you because I'm responding to something greater than me. I'm responding to God. So you cannot help me be me, and you can't stop me from being me. So we cannot be angry and cruel and then go, but they, they did that. So of course I'm going to raise up, and of course I'm going to do this because of what they did. No, no, no. God never does that. He stays loyal to his covenant. Not loyal to you, loyal to what he said. So you could be out here acting a fool, and somebody prayed for you in your family line, five generations ago, and God promised them that he's going to be faithful to all of their descendants, and every time you make a mistake, he remembers your grandma Emma and said, I'm going to keep my word to grandma Emma even though Joey hasn't been to church, even though Joey doesn't pray. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to show him my grace. I'm going to show him my mercy because I'm going to keep my word. You cannot break God's word for him. Our entire faith started in Genesis 
with, with a man by the name of Abraham, and God gave Abraham his word that he would bless his descendants. Do you know spiritually you're the descendants of Abraham? Do you know that God will bless you because he's trying to keep his word to Abraham? Do you hear what I... He will. He's loyal to his word. Some of us, we give our word and we're not loyal to our word because of what someone else did. Never give your, be loyal to your word. Not them, your word. Be loyal to what you say. Another word meaning is unfailing love. God's love cannot fail. He is obsessed with you. He doesn't, he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't like Pastor Julian more than he likes you. He doesn't like Pastor Julian less than he likes you. He's obsessed with you, no matter what you've done. If you came late and you weren't on time and you've been smoking and drinking and you never prayed once, God cannot take his eyes off you. He thinks you are awesome. Why? Because in heaven, in the courtyard, he's inspected the sacrifice, and it's Jesus. And he's not inspecting you, he's inspecting Jesus, which gives you the grace and mercy to do self-reflection and self-inspection in a healthy community where people know how to extend grace and mercy. But God has already inspected Jesus, and God is saying the sacrifice is enough. Do your, you think your sins are too much for God's love? That's one of the most prideful things we could think, is that we are too sinful. Too sinful. We can't come to God. God won't bless me. When the first church started with the people who praised Jesus and the people who killed him, God's mercy is infinite and it is amazing. I want you to write this down. The character of God, this is the mercy is the character of God that allows him to keep his relationship and his promises to those who are unfaithful and unworthy of the relationship or promises. God wants to do something for you that you don't think you're worthy enough to receive. And one of the things that I feel like specifically, and I'm going to talk to, the, to, the, to the, the, um, the women specifically in our church, is there's been an attack on worth. Men make us worthy for certain things that God does not make us worthy for. Uh, employees think, make us worthy for things that not, so God doesn't make us worthy for. And men, we try to find our worth in our accomplishments. We cannot be worthy of what God wants to do. It's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all God's sympathy and compassion. It's all of his loyalty to his covenant. It's all of his unfailing love. This is amazing. And I'm telling you what I want to do in L.A. church. Some of the biggest churches are churches that continue to prophesy over you of what God's going to do in your career. That's why so many people go to those churches. Because they're actually trying to get hold of something in this lifetime. I had this thought as I was praying about this message. You can fill a church full of people who are looking to God for houses, careers, and cars, but you only fill heaven with a church looking to God for his grace and mercy. His grace and mercy. But then once we receive that, we got to give it away. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That means the presence of God. Where are we right now? We're in the presence of God. Are we in the presence of God because we're in church? No. We're in the presence of God because you're here. You can, you can have the presence of God at home. You can have a throne in your car. But you approach God first and foremost looking for mercy and grace. One of the things that I pray a lot more recently is, God, I don't deserve this, but can you give to me anyway because you're merciful? Come on, God. Your boy needs some mercy. 
God, I don't deserve to have a wonderful marriage and family, but can I have it anyway because you're merciful? God, I don't deserve for the church to grow, but can you do it anyway because you're merciful? God, I don't deserve to book this audition. I'm not the best actor in the world. I took some acting class on, you know, Craigslist. You know, I, but can I, can I do it? Can you give me some mercy? But that's not how most people pray. It's God, where are you? Come on, God. Are you serious? Like, God, if you're good, you'll do this. We put God's goodness on the line. And we go, well, God good, it would already be happening. Think about this. There was a man in the Bible who was blind and begging, broke and couldn't see. And the Bible says when he approached Jesus, he said, son of David, have mercy on me. That's not our culture. Our culture is, God, if you were good, I'd already be able to see, and I wouldn't be in a financial position where I would have to beg. That means there is no God. Because if there was a God, I wouldn't be blind. If there was a God, I wouldn't be broke. But not this man. This man said, God, I can't see and I have no money. I need your mercy. We need a prayer like that, but we can't pray that way because we think we deserve what we're praying for. Lord, I've been praying for this a long time. How long am I going to be single? Where am I husband? Like, like, we tell people you're enough. Who's enough to be married? How arrogant is that? You ain't worth somebody spending the rest of their life with. And neither am I. That's mercy and grace. There are no marriages that stay together without mercy and grace. That's a crazy concept. The Bible calls marriage a mystery. Why do people do this? That's what it calls a divine mystery. It's what represents how God feels about all of you. And how does God execute how he feels about all of you? Through mercy and grace. But we love to tell each other, girl, you are worth it. No. My brother, you are worth it. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not for who you're looking for. The Bible said, I told one, somebody one time, he wanted to get married. I said, the Bible says a, a, a woman is more, a wife is more precious than rubies. I said, if you found a ruby, what's the first thing you should know about that ruby? That it ain't yours. You wouldn't find a ruby on the ground. Somebody dropped it. So if you, anytime you see a woman that looks like a ruby, that ain't your wife. If it's yours, you got to dig. Woo, I feel like preaching. You got to clean some dirt off of it. You got to refine it. You got to nurture it. It becomes a ruby by the work you put in. And only then is it valuable when it's cleaned and it's dug up. So I want you to marry someone that you have to, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, washing her clean with water through the word. So you, and it's your investment that makes them a ruby, not your eyesight. Put my cash app on the screen for all these single people. It ain't even my, put, put my Venmo on the screen. If you're single, you better shout to the Lord for that revelation. Should charge for this. Listen, I'm gonna start life coaching. I just gotta, gotta get behind on my rent first. <laughs> Dude, I never pass up on a good joke. That's so funny. I've just noticed that some life coaches, they're just struggling sometimes. Mercy and grace. I, made, I said that joke for Jet. I'm sorry. You can send me an email. I will, I will apologize. 
I will apologize later. But I never pass up on a good joke. Daniel 4, 26. This service is better because I didn't read this verse in the last service. So you guys must be more spiritual. Daniel 4, 26 through 28 says, As it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of your tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So God's trying to give you something if you understand that heaven rules. How can you understand that heaven rules? Mercy. This is Daniel talking to the king. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your inequities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So if you are believing for a prosperous life, you need to get better at showing mercy to people. Like you need to get better at showing mercy to people because we've received mercy. But self-righteousness begins with us going, I'm just looking for somebody who's worse than me and, and then criticizing them or critiquing until they become who I want them to be. The only time, and then they go, they just don't like feedback. No, 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 they don't like demonic feedback. Here's demonic feedback. When you've changed your view of them until they execute the feedback you're giving them. And when they execute the feedback you're giving them, you view them better. That's demonic feedback. Holy feedback is let me give you some advice, but even if you don't do it, I will never change the way I see you. I'll never change how much I love you. I'll never change how I view you. I'll never stop praying for you. I'll never stop loving you. I will not leave you. That is holy feedback where, where them executing the feedback doesn't determine how you see them or view them. God gives you feedback in your prayer time. God gives you feedback through the word, but he does not withhold his grace and mercy until you execute that feedback. How many people you know like that? Not me. Somebody said none. None. I'm going to invite the team to come up because this is important that we understand. Last week I did a sermon on authority, and there was this story in the Bible where Jesus, um, Jesus uh, forgave somebody. And the religious leaders had an issue with it, and they, this is why they, issued, they, they had the issue. They said, only God has the authority to forgive sin. So last week we talked about authority, and you're going to need authority to go into spaces, spiritual authority where you are sent by God. But, but if we don't know how to forgive and we don't know how to extend mercy, that's the highest act of authority. So you're mad at someone right now that you're not giving any mercy or grace to, and, and that's why you can't receive mercy and grace. The moment you do something that you know God doesn't want you to do, you try to fix it. We try to fix ourselves. We try to fix our kids. We try to fix everybody else because we don't know how to receive grace and mercy. This is a beautiful thing, and beautiful thing in... in um, Micah, verse 7, verse 18, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but God delights to show mercy. I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to think of something that you have done or a failure you have in your life, or a fear of failure that you're trying to fix, or maybe somebody has judged you for or criticized you for. Somebody needs to know they're not too much, they're not too emotional, they're not too this, they're not too that. And the judgment or criticism that someone gave you, you've been holding on to for years, and God would love to give you right now in this moment his mercy, his mercy. Think about that situation, I want you to ask God, 
for his mercy. Thank you, Lord. And it has been my experience that the moment we encounter the mercy or grace of God, the enemy, the devil, loves to send someone in our life who is worse than us, who does something profoundly awful to hurt us, to disrespect us and dishonor us. And instead of mercy and grace, we have bitterness and resentment and anger and hurt, and maybe rightfully so, but that cuts you off from the mercy and grace of God. People say, I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why they're treating me like this. Yes, you did. You need mercy and grace. You're not good and they're bad. So I want you to pray for that person who hurt you right now and don't look at it like you're good and they're bad and you don't know why this is happening. Say, God, maybe I don't, maybe I don't deserve this. I don't know what's going on, but I want you to take that person you're thinking about and I want you to pray God's mercy and grace over them. Just pray out loud and ask God to extend his mercy and grace to them so that the mercy in your life and the grace in your life can continue to flow. Just pray for them out loud. The person who hurt you the most. Thank you, Lord. sad we only sing this song most of the time when someone dies we're singing this song today because something is dying that is bitterness unforgiveness our, our efforts to try to fix everything our self-righteousness if anybody wants to receive the grace and mercy of God can you lift your hands and just just sing that again maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to come forward and receive the grace and mercy of Jesus 
forgiveness of your sins, you can go ahead and come forward. The grace and mercy of God is available for you today. Thank you, Lord. Or lift your hands and give your life to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Can we give God some praise for his mercy? Come on, 1030, give God a shout of praise for his mercy and his grace. Where would we be without the mercy of God? We're so grateful. Hey, after service, we have people up front to pray for you. If you really need this, pray it over you. And I believe that this is an important time in our church to understand this. Because somebody this coming week, man, they're going to do something a little off. And you have a great opportunity. If you received mercy and grace, you got to give it. You got to give it. And it's difficult because you want to be angry. You want to be mad and you have every right to be. But so does God. He had every right to be mad. He had every right to be angry. But he gave up that right over his mercy. And Jesus once said to someone, it's the only time he's ever said, go and learn. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go learn what mercy means means and I am praying and believing God's mercy over each and every one of us do you believe it come on Oasis family I love y'all so this is serious if you need prayer come to the front never been more proud to be your pastor I love y'all so much and we'll see you soon thanks for joining us be sure to subscribe review and share with a friend to join us on the journey of being present connected and generous visit oasisla.org slash connect. We love you so much and we'll see you soon.